I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Matt Bernico, your co-host. I'm Dean Detloff, your other co-host. We got to think of better titles at some point, but it's not going to be today. Nope, not today at all. Maybe next time. <laughs> That's kind of what I think every time we do an introduction. Mm-hmm. Hey, folks, this week we got something really good. Um, we are talking with Keegan Ozinski about her forthcoming book, Queering Wesley, Queering the Church. Listen, uh, we talk a lot about Catholicism on this podcast. And that's fine, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But we're going to talk about John Wesley. And it's going to be the spiciest John Wesley takes you can imagine. And they're going to be great. You're going to love them. Um, I think this is also the pod. The, this is our podcast episode that has the highest number of curses. Mm-hmm. And that's something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. That is something to look forward to. Uh, and they're good curses. There are bad curses, you know, that people do where it's like you probably shouldn't have said it. But uh, some people are good at cursing. Keegan's good at it. Matt, you're good at it. I don't think I make one curse in this whole episode because I don't feel oh, I- I'm not good at it. I'm not confident uh, cussing. But uh, I do think you two pull it off and get in. This one is rated M for mature. <laughs> cool. I appreciate that affirmation about my swearing. Um, I like that a lot. That's what I needed tonight. (laughs) All right, let's go to Keegan and uh, talk about this good book. This week on the show, we have Keegan Ozinski. 
um, talking about her new book that is forthcoming called Queering Wesley and Queering the Church. Uh, it's a real rad book. We got to read a little bit of it, and uh, we're really excited to talk about it. So, Keegan, welcome to the show. Whenever we have an author on, we always ask them to give an elevator pitch for their work. So, would you mind giving us that elevator pitch for Queering Wesley? It can be a it can be a long elevator ride to the tippy top of a building if you want. <laughs> so, yeah, just tell us what absolutely. it's all about. Sure. Uh, and thanks for having me. I'm I'm really excited to to talk about it. I'm excited for people to read it. Excited to get it out there. Uh, basically, I found that no one has been doing this kind of work, joining queer theory with Wesleyan theology. Um, and so, kind of, it just fell into my lap. I was like, let's let's play around with this. Um, and so, basically, I just take ten sermons written by John Wesley the kind of founder of Methodism. Um, and I look at them with a queer lens. I bring queer theory and, um, you know, different queer hermeneutic lenses uh, to bear on his work and on the scripture that he uses in his sermons um, to kind of give a queer perspective to this work. and. Um, at the end of the day, the goal is to show that you can have a fairly robust and faithful Wesleyan theology um, that is, you know, affirming and liberative um, for all kinds of people, all kinds of genders, sexualities. Um, and it's not necessarily as, uh, you know, they're not strange bedfellows after all. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think you make a compelling pitch for sure. And it is really fun. I love the the 10 sermon structure. It's such a cool way to read a book. I imagine probably a cool way to write a book too. So that is one of my favorite things about it. In, in addition to all the fun uh, content, it's just uh, organized in a cool way. And I appreciate that. Um, before we get too far into it, maybe you could outline some of the, the characters of the book, some of the big ideas. Uh, I'm the Catholic one, TM, TM, TM on this podcast. So I figure uh, I should be the one to ask you, who is John Wesley? What's interesting about him? Um, I think I had one Wesleyan friend in college who was very into Arminianism. So uh, <laughs> tell me what's going on here. Yeah, so it's, it's a funny question because I've had several people ask, like, so why are you so interested in Wesley? Like, what's so interesting about him? And I'm just like, you know, nothing really. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> especially like, you know, captivated by him. Although as I read his work, I mean, he's such a weird dude uh, and super interesting as well that I kind of just ended up, you know, getting this like real affection toward him. Um, but he is, he was a, uh, an Anglican priest uh, in the 1700s. Um, and his whole deal was he um, was interested in kind of taking the gospel out uh, into the field. So he was a field preacher and he came under tons of fire um, because back in the day in the Anglican church, you were only supposed to preach inside a church building. Um, and so that was kind of his fight was he was trying to go out to the people, um, especially, you know, he had um, a lot of connections with, um, you know, the like um, working class, um, you know, working people of England. Um, 
that he was trying to meet their needs, help them, you know, put food on their table, help them, uh, you know, have health care, these kinds of things. Um, and, you know, bring that kind of like material gospel to them. Um, and part of that, he was like, well, like, why don't we just go out um, into, you know, the fields where they are working and preach to them. And that was like this huge issue. Um, and then he also spent some time in uh, the colony of Georgia back in the day before the uh, Revolutionary War, which he was actually against because he was such a like uh, monarchist, um, very just like loyal to the Anglican Church and the crown. Um, but yeah, I, that's a little bit about Wesley. I've, there's, I've learned so many funny little um, tidbits and anecdotes about him. Um, he, he wrote uh, one of his better known works that's not necessarily religious is called Primitive Physic. And it is a uh, medical uh, work that actually like was fairly in line with like the medical literature of the day, but like wedded with uh, spiritual um, work and the Bible and stuff like that. But it was like, you know, this is the kind of medicine to take for this kind of ailment and where you can get it and how you can make it and that kind of thing. Um, so he was very interested in all kinds of things um, outside of just, you know, the Bible. Um, but it all kind of came back to, um, you know, preaching the gospel to all kinds of people um, and making making the gospel like material and accessible. Cool. Um, that's a great introduction to John Wesley. Yeah, uh, such an interesting person. Oh, a lot going on there for sure. <laughs> I remember this one time. This is such a weird, uh, a weird pull from my own memory. But one time, you actually did suggest this article to me on Twitter about John Wesley investing in this like uh, kind of like wacky medical device that like shocked people. Um, a real, a real cool eighteen hundred, eighteen hundreds kind of uh, uh, medicine. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, anyways. <laughs> Yeah, now that everyone knows who John Wesley is um, and what he is about, maybe you can introduce the other big idea that comes from your book uh, about queering. Queering has kind of like, it's become one of those, I don't know, academic buzzwords uh, sometimes, uh, where if you go to a conference, you'll see 100 presentations about queering X, Y, or Z thing. But uh, just the same, your book actually gives some very good theoretical background to what the word queering means in, I think, a, a lot deeper sense um, as, a, as a mode of analysis. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's actually really funny. I mean, I've been having a lot of conversations about the book. Um, I, we'll probably get into some of the drama <laughs> about it later. Um, but it's so funny, like, because I live in this, like, academic bubble, basically. You know, I work in a university library. Um, and, yeah, queering is just kind of, like, it's kind of passe. Like, if you're like, oh, yeah, wow, you're applying queer theory to another discipline. Woohoo, big deal. Um, but for a lot of people out in the world, like queer theory is very new. They haven't heard of it. The whole, the word queer is really triggering and kind of um, provocative. And so it's very funny. I feel like I kind of have whiplash because I'm like going back and forth between like people who are like queering Wesley, like big deal, woohoo. And people who are like, oh my God, queer <laughs> and Wesley in the same sentence. Like how can you even do that? Um, so read it. So like, hearing that question about like, you know, like, yeah, we already know about queering. Like, what's the big deal? Um, it's just, it's so, it's just really funny to have those like, that polar polarity. Um, but basically what I, how I define 
you know, I think on the very first page of the introduction, I, I want to be really clear with what I'm doing. Um, so I define, you know, queer as an adjective and also as a verb. Um, so the idea of queer as an adjective being, um, you know, anything that's really non-normative, um, particularly pertaining to gender and sexuality. Um, I, I like to also point out like the political aspect of queerness, um, you know, so it's not just like, oh, you're gay, like, you know, you like people the same gender, um, but there is like this political aspect of um, resisting these heteronormative patriarchal structures that we just know society, um, you know, is, is formed by. Um, and then as a verb, it really is about problematizing these normative narratives, um, as, again, especially regarding gender and sexuality and kind of disrupting and interrogating uh, the gender sexuality assumptions that are in a text, for example. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of what I'm doing. It's this, um, you know, queer theory is, a, you know, from literary theory, it's been around, you know, for decades. Um, but being able to apply it to different disciplines is still can can still be rather um, you know novel, uh, and so that's kind of what I'm trying to do with a with queering Wesley, like doing queer readings, you know, literary theory wise, um, in this like religious register. Yeah, it's cool to hear you talk about that. I think it works too, uh, as a reader, at least I feel like I, uh, I learned a lot from reading it. And you have a, a real knack for um, introducing other theorists or uh, ideas without feeling like you're just like reading somebody's summary. So good job. <laughs> you're an effective writer. Congrats. Uh, and, and I mean, that. Oh, would... thank you. That actually I mean, that means a lot. I mean, I am, <laughs> you know, a librarian, I'm an educator. Um, I, you know, the the main audience of of the book I, I say is accessible academic like it's definitely academic I put a lot of research in there there's you know the bibliography is rather robust if I do say so myself um, but it, it it's readable um, you know we talked about the format like it's 10 sermons each chapter is only I don't know maybe 20 pages long there's there is like a through narrative like an a, a, a an argument that flows throughout the entire work, but um, each chapter is kind of standalone. Um, you can pick it up and put it down and, and uh, you're not going to miss anything. Um, yeah, yeah. I loved that about it as well. And I think you're right. You can pick it up and put it down. Or at least I found myself doing that. And uh, I love books that work that way. It's a good uh, writing technology. Um, all right. So we've got some stuff about Wesley on the table and some stuff about what it means to queer in general on the table. So let's put them together <laughs> like your book does. Uh, you're really playful with Wesley and the Bible uh, and you draw out a lot of insightful points. And like you said, this kind of provocation about how we think about gender and sexuality in Christianity. And it's neat to kind of mash all those things together. Can you tell us a little bit about that deconstructive aspect of the book or how maybe you're you're reading with and against Wesley at the same time and, and kind of letting all this stuff stir together in, in the big stew that is your book at the end? Yeah. So, um, yeah, queer theory, just like, you know, feminist theory and, and the, the function of queer feminist reading is a deconstructive, you know, methodology. So basically you're taking the text 
and you are finding the little cracks and holes that are in there. You're asking it questions. Uh, you're kind of just like poking and prodding and, and squishing it around. Um, and it, yeah, you're right. It is very playful. Uh, I feel like a lot of people in theology, especially are kind of, um, afraid to to play i mean there are a lot of kind of these rules of orthodoxy that people feel bound by for you know various reasons um but i'm not particularly interested in that i i'm more interested in that kind of more creative playfulness um and just kind of asking like why and why not and you know like just kind of fucking around with it um and so that's kind of what I did. I mean, I another question I get asked a lot is like how I even chose the uh, sermons that I chose. Um, and I, you know, I really wanted a, a really like structured and good answer methodology methodology for that, but I just honestly don't have one. <laughs> and this is, I mean, it goes for writing, you know, and the reading of each chapter too. I, it just kind of happened. I just kind of read the, the the sermons over and over until I found these little, you know, twinges and, and like things that just like caught my eye. And I was like, huh, I wonder what I could do with this. Or I wonder what happens if I take this and go this way with it. Um, so it really was just a lot of like playing around and trying different things um, and seeing what came out of it. Uh, and applying, you know, other thinkers and and resources um, to kind of just see what what could be generated out of this. Because it, again, like the end goal is really to continue a Wesleyan theology, a Wesley the Wesleyan tradition as this like continuing um, stream. Uh, and you know, it's, it's always growing and changing still, you know? So I, I was just curious to see how, how we can, how we could grow it and how we could play with it and, you know, see what comes out of it. Yeah. Um, that's cool. Well, one place where you do that, um, where I was really engaged, I think, um, is when, uh, in your book, I think this is like in the first chapter, you start talking about the phrase born again and doing some of this like interesting, you know, reading with reading against kind of deconstructive work, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in Wesleyan denominations. And I think maybe just in evangelicalism at large, there's a really big emphasis on this phrase about being born again. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big deal. Uh, <laughs> I think to say the very least <laughs> uh, as a person who was formed in that type of theological background, the born again language is actually kind of triggering. <laughs> if not sure, a, sure, uh, yeah. Definitely like a, a bad reminder of how toxic and manipulative I think the church can be. Sure. Um, I, I think the thing that comes to my mind immediately is like church, like Thursday night church camp. Um, and, you know, you have to go to the altar or whatever. But anyway, something I appreciate about your book is that it finds a way to rethink being born again in a way that actually sounds pretty OK. <laughs> um, so on being born again, you write this. One must come out embracing the fullness of themselves and reclaiming the moral image of God in their lives, which is the image of perfect love that casts out fear. Um, you also have some really interesting, um, I don't know, comparisons that you're kind of importing from other queer theorists about uh, being born again and the idea of coming out. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, man, really grasped by all of this. I, and I think it's a really cool way to re- reinterpret something that I've only experienced as very bad. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got something good out of something that I, I found to be so, so bad within Christianity? How did you do it? <laughs> yeah. So that, that's the chapter on, uh, the sermon, the new birth and, um, yeah, it just really felt like, uh, being born again could just map really easily onto this idea of coming out. And, you know, part of being born again is this idea of uh, repentance and humility. And I just started thinking about repentance and humility as this idea of um, self-reflection, right? So in the the typical like evangelical sense of repentance, right, you're thinking about all the bad things that you've done, all the sins you've committed, and you know, saying you're sorry. Um, but I I thought you know what if repentance was you you still have that piece where you have that self reflection of what what have I done? How have I um, you know neglected myself? or God's gift of my identity or my experiences. Um, You know, thinking about sin as this like negligence toward the self or, um, you know, something like this. Um, And then the the new birth being this claiming of your identity or your life uh, in a new light, in a more true um, and loving light, because that's another thing about, um, the queer experience is, is your, your truth or your authentic self or whatever you want to call it, um, is seen as the, the bad guy or the bad thing that you're supposed to be rid of. Um, but, but if you think about it instead as that exact new life that you're supposed to be born into, and I, I mean, I feel like a lot of queer folks might resonate with that, right? Like once you finally come out to yourself even, or to others, um, you can embrace this new life, this new birth of a self um, that is really liberating and liberated from this past of sin, which was, um, you know, repression, right? Um, And so it's just, yeah, it really is just a rethinking, I think also in that chapter, it, it talks about the story of Nicodemus, right? Coming to to chat with Jesus at night um, and how, you know, I think I, I, I make the connection of like cruising, right? This like gay uh, hanging out, seeing who's around, like what's up, like let's, you know, head over back here, you know, that kind of thing um, of like Nicodemus, like showing up with Jesus, like, hey, man, what's going on? Um, and then the the idea of Jesus telling him you have to be born again and 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 Nicodemus being like how how am i supposed to enter again into my mother's womb and Jesus is like oh no you have to be born from above and it's like this whole thing about being born from the womb of his father um there's just so much queerness there um and just like the free just being free to read it that way and to to be like what the fuck like this is this is queer this is not normal (laughs) um it's just so interesting and i i think really what i want to encourage my readers to do like i felt i was able to do is just to 
to really like read this stuff and and feel free to like be weirded out by it in a good way um because it is really freeing and fascinating and interesting and it, and it really you know brings a freshness to the text both the bible and wesley i like that the way you're talking about it especially as a way of kind of re-encountering these different stories and narratives and maybe allowing them to uh appear differently or appear in all their weirdness um that's really fun and uh also a good uh, reason maybe to go back and reread some of that stuff. Uh, I'll be curious to hear maybe a little bit more. We can ask you uh, in a minute about that strange kind of dialectic between being like very faithful to the tradition and the text. And also um, in order to do that, doing some weird stuff or things that other people might not think are is, is faithful. <laughs> but um, yeah, before we get there, though, uh, maybe. OK, you, you go through a lot of Wesley's ideas and sermons um, you said, you know, these sermons kind of suggested themselves or, or you just sort of stumbled upon them. But what's one sermon that sticks out to you in particular? Uh, what would you want maybe more people in this tradition to, to know about Wesley and his theology? So as you were kind of writing the book, maybe what was the most fun chapter to write? And uh, what do you sort of hope um, people will will uh, get out of the Wesleyan tradition after passing through some of the, the methods that you're proposing? Yeah, so... I think what was really surprising to me was I, I kind of came to it expecting like, okay, this is John Wesley. He is the Methodist. Like he's very kind of strict, disciplined, methodical, obviously, you know, he had this, you know, he was very just like, this is how you live your life. You wake up at 5am, you eat your, you know, <laughs> one cracker for breakfast. Like, and so I was just kind of expecting it to be very, um, you know, puritanical in that way. And, he, you know, he was, influenced by these German Puritans, the Moravians, like he had this whole, you know, early colonial kind of, kind of mindset. Um, and, you know, obviously in that sense, he's not without his, his faults, but um, it, it, I was so surprised by just how open he was. So I think the chapter that I'm thinking about mostly is the one, um, I think it's, it's between either on charity and of the church. So in both of these, he, he, he's so open to the idea of difference. Um, so in of the church, I think is the one that I kind of go through and I, I use Laurel Schneider's um, ideas about um, the, the logic of the one and the, the, the tyranny of the one, um, because the text that he uses is the one that's like, you know, one God, one faith, one baptism and all that. And I kind of go through and deconstruct each of those to show that this idea of unity is, you know, false down to its core. Like any unity is, is not just one, um, you know, God is not just one, this one faith, this one baptism has each one of those things has its own diversity within it already. Um, and it, it just kind of, Obviously, like I applied that onto there, but it, it's it's there in Wesley's actual work. You know, he talks about the differences between, say, you know, Protestants and Catholics, and there there's a lot of animosity there in his time. But he he's very clear that he's like, you know, I don't fucking know. Like, there's you know, like the the Catholics, like they're kind of nuts, but you know, whatever. Like, so are the Protestants. You know, so like we can't really speak to it. Um, and there's room for all of us, you know, he, he's very clear, like, you know, he, he has, you know, huge um, disagreements with Calvinists, 
But at the end of the day, he's like, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm right, but whatever, we're all Christians, that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's just very, it's a very open and hospitable theology. And that's, that's one of the reasons that I feel like I can do this work and, and remain in this tradition because, at, you know, the core, um, the foundation of it is very open and very, um, you know, there's space for all kinds of thought and all kinds of practice um, because at the end of the day, it's all about love. Um, John Wesley, his, his main thing is holiness, of course, but holiness is perfect love of God and neighbor. It's all about love and care for others, um, both, you know, in your heart or whatever, and also materially. Um, so like at the end of the day, if, if, if love is what we're going for and that's what we're trying to do, like, yeah, of course, sign me up. Let's, let's fucking do it. Let's fucking do it. Indeed. Um, <laughs> so like Dean was mentioning a minute ago, right? Like, uh, you found something really valuable in John Wesley and you're finding some interesting ways to read it. Um, you know, not only, I'm sorry, maybe I should even reframe that. Not only are you finding something valuable in, in John Wesley, but like you're actively a part of like the Wesleyan tradition. Like, you know, you're um, on Twitter, at least I know you're Nazarene. Um, how great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I guess it's really interesting <laughs> about your book, though, is that not only are you finding things to agree with in John Wesley, but you're also finding ways to have like productive misreadings of John Wesley. Um, mm -hmm. in, in the end of your book, you have this really cool take on theology that I, uh, I think is really instructive. Uh, you write that the act of deliberately misreading your teachers in order to birth your own method and mode of thought is a standard and necessary part of the process of scholarship, including theology. Um, such a good word. It reminds me a lot in, uh, in grad school. Um, one of my mentors would always tell us not to stick too close to our bodyguards, right? You have to like kind of <laughs> kind of kill them to, to, and find something new or whatever. So I don't know, maybe talk about that a little bit. What's it, what's it like to deliberately misread your teachers uh, in, in theology and, and still be like a part of the tradition? Yeah, I mean, I think, so a, a big um, kind of source of, I don't know, inspiration, if that's the right word, um, that I took is uh, Mildred Bang's Wine Coop. So she uh, was a Nazarene theologian. Uh, her book, uh, a Theology of Love was published in, I think, 1972, 76, in the 70s. Um, and she also kind of um, met a lot of challenge with her work because she was kind of taking what had been traditionally the understanding of um, holiness, Wesleyan holiness. Um, you'll still see it today, maybe called like something like American holiness. Um, which is this much more strict legalistic uh, way of thinking of holiness as, you know, purity or something like this, rather than love, which was kind of her, this is her um, influence, you know, is that this idea of holiness as love first and foremost. And that's how she read Wesley. And she says, and I, I have a, a bit about this in the, in the introduction, I think um, that for her, she needed to do, a certain amount of, of um, translating work to make Wesley um, useful and relevant and applicable to the present day. Um, she's very straightforward about that. And I was just, you know, reading her work 
and reading Wesley and being like, yeah, and we need to do that again because the seventies were also a long time ago. So we need to even take her and do that again further, do this additional translating work. Um, and so of course, I mean, so like yesterday was Wesley's 318th birthday. I mean, it was a fucking long time ago that he was around. <laughs> um, and you know, the same way that we, we read the Bible. I mean, it's just, it's a whole different time. So we, you know, even the most literal readers of the Bible have to do some translating type work. I mean, literally translating work when it comes to the Bible. Um, to actually even make it useful. And so I think this idea of tradition again comes up where it, it's it's a stream, it's a river. I, I use this kind of metaphor a lot because it's it's happening now, it's going through the present and into the future. Um, and we are in this stream um, and we can also like change the direction of the stream. That doesn't make it not the stream, it's still, the same stream, it just moves and changes over time. And so I think in order to make it useful and life-giving today, if that's what people wanna do, if we wanna consider the Bible as scripture, if we wanna consider John Wesley as a generative um, you know, piece of our tradition, a useful text for our, for our tradition, it, it has to continue to speak to us. And it can only do that if we continue to translate it for ourselves. Um, and so, yeah, of course, we're going to like lose some things, you know, I, how many people in the last couple of weeks have talked about how I'm making John Wesley roll over in his grave, like, <laughs> fine, whatever, he's dead, who the fuck cares? Like, <laughs> that's fine. Honestly, he probably like, he probably, well, I, I go back and forth about whether he would be fine <laughs> with what I'm doing. Um, because he's like, yeah, whatever, it's 300 years later, like, obviously, you're going to do something or if he would be pissed about it. But either way, it's like, he's like, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but obviously, I still think he's useful for the tradition, like, that's how a tradition works. Um, but, but it's, there's, it's completely a foolish errand to, to try to make um, this backwards, you know, timeline work into the future. It's a really good point, though, because I think people think of tradition as like the antithesis of progress or something like they think of these things as opposite. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I mean, the way you're putting it is exactly right. Um, tradition is not mean being stuck in the past. It, it means like progressing in a really particular way. Um, mm -hmm. and I think what you've done is is doing just that. Right. You found this. Um, you found these ideas in Wesley that are kind of like the underlying logic of, of a lot of his, uh, you know, his sermons and his theology. And like you're taking it and running with it, and I think that's really, uh, really fascinating. And the, and the reactions obviously are um, something else. Yeah. Well, maybe you can talk to us about that a bit, Keegan. I imagine uh, in my mind, but also just by having seen some of your Twitter and Facebook conversations, that not everybody is as excited uh, about this project as you are. And I am not. Uh, I've never been part of the Nazarene Church, but I know a few people who have and me yes it's me like matt <laughs> that's one of them um my guess is uh queering wesley is not um welcomed with open arms in every corner of that denomination so uh, you've been sharing some some boomer facebook posts complaining about you calling you a dangerous person i don't know maybe that feels cool maybe not maybe both <laughs> what what response do you expect to get from that book and how do you deal with that as a person who is like actively trying to 
uh, participate in that tradition? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a little bit of both. Like, I, uh, on the one hand, it's like, this is hilarious. Um, you know, I, I posted literally just the cover. Um, that's all I've, you know, I've, I've posted the, the cover of the book. Um, and people freaked out, again, just because the word queer is next to the word Wesley. Um, and they think, you know, I, I want to say like one of the posts is like, oh, the the LGBT is taking over or infiltrating <laughs> or something like this. Um, and it, it's it's frustrating on one hand because obviously they haven't even read the book. They probably never will. Um, and also I'm not writing it for them. It's not a polemic. It's not an apologetic kind of book. Um, I, I just, I'm not interested in those kinds of conversations at this point. Um, so on the one hand, yeah, like all of these comments and posts and, you know, podcasts or whatever that they're putting out about me, I, I do not care. <laughs> um, I care in the sense that it's funny and like every time they post something about it, you know, there are people in their audiences and their circles that actually need to hear what I'm trying to say, this like more liberative word. So I, I hope it gets to them, um, you know, even through these like hateful people. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, I don't actually care what they think about me and they can't do anything to me. Um, so I, I'm not afraid of them or worried about them. I don't lose any sleep over it. Um, I do spend probably too long just like scrolling and like laughing at all the comments, <laughs> but never responding because like I just I, it's not worth it, you know. I'm not here to fight. Um, so that's, that's really interesting. But um, I do think it's, it's worthy and worthwhile work. Um, I think it is actually like constructive and useful. And I think there are people that do have ears to hear that. Um, you know, there's plenty of people who don't, but there's plenty of people who do, and there's plenty of people who need to hear it. And Every time, you know, I've been working on this book for, gosh, I guess like four years now. I mean, I've presented bits and pieces of it at different conferences, and I had the opportunity to go to my alma mater, which is a Nazarene school, and, and give a short version of one of the chapters. And in, in the audience, when I gave that paper, there were some, you know, higher up, like Nazarene mucky mucks, like you know, administrators and stuff who were like grumpy or like, like whatever. But afterwards, there was just like this horde of college students who were so hyped. And they were just like, we want to have these conversations. Everyone's afraid to talk about it. This is so great. Like, we need to hear this. I, I've been able to like, you know, over Zoom, like go back to some of these like classes and these like uh, campus groups to talk about my work and like that's who I'm doing this for is like these these young people who are coming up in the Nazarene church which is not affirming um or any honestly any Wesleyan denomination is not affirming um but who you know care and love the church um and want to be a part of it um being able to show them that you know it's, it's not impossible. Like there is a place for you. Like you can make this, uh, work. Um, and you know, I wish the broader church would do that and, you know, show 
that same kind of care to you. Uh, but obviously they're not going to. So it's, you know, it's my privilege and joy to do that. Yeah. Um, I can attest to and affirm, uh, that response from, <laughs> from younger people to your book, um, a, a long time ago in the early days of your, of your book, when you were just starting to write it, you did come and talk to, uh, this like small group that I was running at a Wesleyan school. Oh, that I that's thought right. Of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, okay. So we were definitely the small group the bible study is what it was what it was technically <laughs> we were definitely the black sheep of the university and uh mm-hmm. and it was like all the people that did not really want to do a bible study um mm-hmm. but after you came and you talked about it uh they were really energized about it they were really excited so i mean there are definitely people who um i think for this uh for there are definitely people for whom this work is like very important so i think it's mm-hmm. really good mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. despite the haters it's great yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe on all of that, I mean, something that's really interesting is that, um, well, you know, there's like, I think there's almost like a tradition of theologians at this point who, um, you know, come to challenge their own traditions in really, I think, healthy ways, um, but get this kind of pushback and have this sort of experience um, where uh, some people don't appreciate it. (laughs) Maybe like the people Mm -hmm. who are the institutional gatekeepers, they don't appreciate it or whatever. Sure. And the the question always comes down to like, well, like why stay in those traditions? Why stay in those mm-hmm. communities uh, if you don't see yourself really accepted in them? So I don't know how how do you see that working out for you? Like, what's your role in your own tradition and community? Why why choose to stay uh, despite the haters? Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a classic question. It's one I deal with all the time, um, and it. I have what I think is a fairly unique experience with the Church of the Nazarene because I did not grow up religious, never heard of the Church of the Nazarene until I went to college. Um, and I, my experience of church before that was a, an even more conservative uh, tradition. I mean, it was a non-denominational kind of thing, but it was, you know, John Piper, John MacArthur, complementarianism, that whole kind of kind of world. And so when I went to Nazarene school and I started studying theology, everyone was like super, you know, encouraging. Um, you know, I was told always like I was capable, I was smart, I belong there. Like my insights were valuable, like these kinds of things that in the church that I was in, you know, in high school were like, no, you're a woman. You shouldn't be studying theology in the first place. You should be getting ready to have a bunch of babies. Um, and so when all of those kinds of relationships fell apart in my life, what I had left was the Church of the Nazarene and the professors and the colleagues that I had there who were, you know, always like more than loving to me. Um, And so that's kind of where I fell in with the Nazarenes and was like, great, I love this. Like, I belong here. These are my people. Like, I feel comfortable here. I'm welcomed. Um, and then as I, you know, got more involved in the church, I realized like, oh, like the whole church is not like, you know, the university in Southern California. <laughs> um, it's a very different context with like, say like Ohio Nazarenes or, you know, Southern Nazarenes, which is where I am now in Nashville. Um, and so like realizing like, oh, this is actually quite a conservative denomination. I didn't even know because I had been so um, surrounded by, um, you know, more welcoming, loving people. Um, and so I've, I've just, you know, by luck, by whatever, by being hashtag blessed, like I have been just with 
people who have encouraged me um, and loved me who are Nazarenes. And so I just feel like this is my family um, and like, sorry about it. <laughs> uh, you know, you didn't really choose me. I didn't really choose you, but now you're stuck with me. You know, you, you raised me, you educated me. I wouldn't be who I am today if it weren't for the Church of the Nazarene. Um, and so I feel this kind of, um, I don't know if loyalty, I need to figure out a better word than loyalty, um, but a, a kind of obligation, a kind of connection um, to this denomination because it really has raised me. It has been a home for me because of the, the people, right? Um, so obviously there's so much of it that is not a good home for me. Um, but I, that it, it just is what it is. These are my people. Um, so while people would like for me to leave, um, which is really funny, right? Like it's an evangelical denomination. So you'd think they would be all about like trying to like win souls, but they're like literally trying to be like, can you, can you leave? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I just haven't had the kind of, um, you know, negative, harmful, abusive situation with the church that a lot of people have. Um, so, I mean, obviously that is my privilege. Um, and, you know, the actual interpersonal relationships I have with, you know, my own church um, that I go to every Sunday or the professors that I have who are still friends and colleagues today. Um, these are all really positive, life-giving relationships for me. Um, so I, I don't have a real reason to, to leave that um, as much as, you know, randos on the internet would like me to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it feels sort of in the spirit of Wesley as you're talking about it, at least as you described it earlier, right? This guy who's out in the fields doing the preaching thing because he's like, well, that's just what you're supposed to do, I guess. And, you know, doing that because he's a pietist, really, not because he's a, you know, I don't know, wild iconoclast or <laughs> some kind of person who's just trying to get out, but someone who's like, I want to double down on the commitments that I have and kind of follow them to their conclusions, even if that leads me out of the church or something. That's really cool. Really well, cool. And, it, and it's so funny, right? Because yeah, they're like trying to convince me to like not go to church. Like what, what is your goal here? <laughs> like I, I am very invested in this church. I love this church. I literally go every Sunday. I teach Sunday school. Like I do all these church things because I enjoy it. Like, uh, is that bad? Like <laughs> I thought this is what you want people to do, you know? I, and a lot of these people who are so angry are not even Nazarene. They've left the church because they thought it was too progressive and now they're Southern Baptists. Like, I don't, I don't get it truly. Like I, you know, obviously there's plenty of ways that I'm not a good Nazarene. Um, but also like it, I am still a Nazarene. So I don't like, I don't know what you want from me, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's such a good word. Um, in such a weird way that all works out. I don't know. What do people want from you? <laughs> Just trying to think about it. Well, uh, one of the big themes of our podcast is recognizing that theology and Christianity are full of failures. <laughs> um, <laughs> Christianity is always trying to do something good. Uh, well, not always, but it oftentimes is trying to do something good, but uh, actually fucking it up in the end. Uh, so in the closing paragraphs of your book, you say something kind of similar. Uh, you say that your work is a promiscuous effort of trial and error of fooling around and fumbling in the dark together. 
And uh, that way of theology, that way of thinking about theology really resonates with me. So uh, I don't know, would you say a little bit more about that approach uh, about trial and error as someone who's doing theology? Yeah, I think really the only thing that keeps me engaged with theology proper anymore is the ability to play. Um, I, I mean, I've been studying theology like, I, I mean, I guess you would say professionally or whatever for, you know, over a decade now. And I, I'm kind of bored of it in a lot of ways. Um, it's just not that interesting to me anymore. Um, and so being able to play and just like fuck around with it has been really fun um, in a way that, you know, I hadn't really experienced since I was learning theology for the first time in undergrad. Um, and so the, the bit about, you know, trial and error and just like messing around and like playing, like that's, that's what this book is. It's, it, it is serious work and it is researched and, you know, a lot of work went into it, but at the end of the day, it, it really is just kind of, kind of goofing around. Um, and so I understand a lot of, you know, if, if it doesn't resonate with people or they, they think it's not appropriate or whatever, like that makes sense. And, you know, I, again, I don't necessarily expect this to be for everyone. Um, but I, I'm really interested in the idea of making theology fun and creative and joyful and life-giving um because otherwise it's just like fucking boring and like uh, I'm just not interested in it um and I think you know if you believe in a god or you know like I just can't imagine a god that would be so fucking boring or limiting or limited <laughs> uh if you want to talk about god like fucking god uh it, it's got to be like fun and playful and yeah trial and error and just like you know messing around like what i mean what else would the creation story be you know <laughs> but god god being like hey 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 what if we what if we did this <laughs> yeah that's cool i like it i think too that way of understanding being a, a Christian at play or, or being a theologian at play or however you might want to put it is uh, probably hard to get. Well, it's hard to get my brain around uh, because Christianity is sometimes too serious to <laughs> high in its own supply of moralism and so on. Um, but I mean, I found that in the Catholic tradition as well. Like the people I like the most are the people who are just willing to be like, yeah, I don't know. What if the Virgin Mary was also like a Marxist revolutionary? And we just kind of like thought about that for a second. And it seems like there's something really valuable and generative in in just creating that permission too for people to maybe do their own kind of playing around. Uh, how do you see that in your own work too? I mean, are you, do you feel like maybe you're giving some kind of license for other uh, Wesleyans to be like, as you said earlier, you know, get weird with it, have the courage to kind of be weird and, and mess up if you have to and just kind of see what shakes out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this again is really just one person's, you know, read of these sermons, like one option. I mean, I think there's probably even a couple of footnotes in the book of like, you know, I could have gone a different way with this. Or, you know, every time I wrote one, I was like, oh, I could go this way. I could go that way. Like, there's just so much material. I mean, this is how the Bible is too. Like, 
I just can't imagine why anyone would only want one read of it because there's just so much opportunity. Um, so yeah, I, I want people to take this and to like, you know, disagree with my read and be like, actually, what if we think about it this way? And not in a way that's like, you're wrong and I'm right, but just like, okay, yeah, but what about this? Okay, yeah, but what about this? You know, it's the same thing about like, when you're a kid and you're playing pretend and you're like, okay, 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 pretend that this is what's going on. And then it's like, you know, a few minutes later, you're like, okay, okay, let's like actually do this other thing instead. You know, it's, it's, life's too short. There's too much fun shit going on in these stories. Um, and that, you know, that's what keeps me engaged again in like Christianity at all. Um, like, it's just so fucking weird. It's so fucking interesting. Um, there's just so much there. And I, I hate the idea that like it, it would be limited to, to one thing. Um, it's just not realistic. It's not interesting that way. It's yeah. So absolutely. I think people should be able to take your source material, take your raw material of your tradition, your teachers, your Bible, and play with it um, and see what life-giving things can come out of it. That's great. It's a good word. Um, we appreciate it. Well, um, as we're wrapping up here, do you want to give a big plug for your book? Uh, do you know when it will be out? Do you want to say something about it? Uh, no. So the thing about my publisher it's it's a pretty small publisher it's coming out uh through cascade which is in an imprint of whip and stock um and so it should be out in the next week i hope it should be out soon um and it should be available on whip and stock website on amazon um you know fuck jeff bezos but whatever <laughs> yeah that sounds good <laughs> we'll we'll retweet it for sure we'll make sure everyone knows about it um from yeah our I'll, i'm Definitely. As soon as it drops, I'm, you know, letting everybody know because uh, I'm really excited to get it in people's hands. Oh, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you should go buy Keegan's book. It's probably out now or it's coming out in a few days. Who could say whenever you're listening to this? But uh, go get it. Go buy it. Pre-order it. Probably you could do that. It's a good book. Uh, I said it's really fun to read and I stand by it. It's very fun. You can also support our podcast at patreon.com slash the Magnificast, and you can toss us a couple of bucks. If you do that, you can get into a cool Discord where we share some articles and have conversations with lots of cool folks. Uh, it's a great community of people there. I really like that a lot. Uh, we also do another podcast there behind the paywall called The Lock-In, where we make bad jokes about Christian subculture <laughs> and talk about uh, current events and whatever else is going on. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. You can email us at themagnificast.gmail.com. Our music is by Amoria Armstrong, and our outro is by The Illogical Spoon. We'll see you next week. I don't want to get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation Never get tired, never bored Don't worry, someday There'll be no dam between us and our Lord Jackson, keep your hoods up you Keep your hoods up And you stay up late 
Jackson, you keep your hoods up, well you keep your hoods up, and you stay up late, oh don't mind, a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon, so come on now, it's still early, at least I would have.